It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. Rock has been part of the Las Vegas scene since the Beatles and Elvis Presley, and in subsequent decades, many rock bands performed here, but most were on the road performing in cities throughout America. One current Las Vegas resident covered these touring bands and wrote about them for major publications. Now he has a book that puts it all together. My guest is Eric Gladstone, author of Anything But Nirvana, Other Heroes and Happenings from Rock's Last Great Era. It's available exclusively on Amazon, and you can follow Eric on Facebook at Anything But Nirvana and also EC Gladstone, and on Instagram at EC Gladstone and The Feast of Friends. Eric, welcome to the show. Ira, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. I want to talk a little bit about your background because, as you even say, it's a varied career that you've had. It's fascinating. How did you end up covering all these bands initially. Where were you at that point in time in the 90s that you got access to a lot of various bands? Sure. So a lot of people in Las Vegas specifically and in the food world in general know me now uh, because that's the world I'm in working in food and beverage marketing. But I started out as a big rock fan, uh, you know, really just coming out of high school, uh, being in high school bands and wanting to write about rock and, and live in that world. So in college, honestly, I got involved in the music scene there through college radio and the newspaper, and that's really how I kind of learned my trade writing-wise and journalism-wise. That was my greatest interest, and I went to college at Rutgers University in New Jersey, and there was a pretty healthy music scene there. There were some original bands that are actually covered in this book. And that really gave me the inspiration and also the opportunity to get into writing about bands on a national level. So it was an early stage of that particular part of your career where you started to get access yeah. to some of these guys. Do you remember the first one? The very first one, I'm not absolutely positive on, but I'm going to guess, uh, really the first one that's worth t talking about is the Smithereens. And there's a later interview I did with them that was never published before in the book. Smithereens were just coming up on the local bar scene uh, in New Jersey when I started to get to know them, and I was definitely an early champion of them. They were getting popular, but for some reason, local press was barely talking about them, and I just thought that this was crazy. So it was one of the first things I did for the college paper, and my relationship with them grew from them. I also wrote about Ween when they were still playing Living Rooms. <laughs> to be honest. Um, and, uh, and, and I got to, the first time I saw them was in someone's living room. And I got to do the first national story on them that anyone had ever written for Alternative Press. And that's, that's the first story that's in the book. And that's kind of how I got my start, actually, really, on a national level. When you first left college and you started to write on a national level, as you talked about, were you surprised at the access you did have to some of these performers and bands? Good question. Well, like I said, I had started off on a, on a kind of bar scene with bands that grew bigger, and it was actually, the surprise was how it was very strange to see a band who you just kind of knew as buddies or friends get this kind of attention on a national level, and you're like, wow, like, this is how it happens. It just kind of happens, you know? So that was very cool. When it came to other bigger bands, I don't think surprise is the right word. I sort of, 
I don't want to say I expected it, but I requested it because I, I don't want to use the word demand either because I wasn't in a, in a place to demand. But I just asked for it. You know, I, I always tried to get on the inside of bands experiences. And I think of a lot of the stories here that are road stories, which by all means, it's not everything that I did at the time, but they were my favorite stories. And that's why there's a lot of them in the book. I really tried to get inside of a band's experience because I felt like a lot of journalism at the time was just kind of like an extension of marketing. You know, it just told the story that the bands wanted to, to tell or the record companies wanted you to know, you know, and you would do an interview in a press conference room or something like that. And they would give you the same answers that they get every, everyone. And I just thought that that was frustrating and pointless. So I tried to go on tour and I tried to do different things with bands. And, and usually the bands themselves were receptive because they were as bored as sitting in conference rooms as the writers were. It's a different angle, of course. In the way you answered my next question, which was, it was evidently relatively easy to get the trust of these guys. I, I don't know if I got the trust of them. Well, they were happy. They were happy. They were happy, they were happy to talk with you on the road. And I guess over time, they said, "Okay, this guy's not an enemy. He's not going to screw I, us." I mean, I'd like to think that some of my early earlier stories showed bands that I cared enough, where I was trying to do something. A good example in terms of trust would probably be the Smashing Pumpkin story, which is probably one of the biggest things I did because that was the story that sort of broke the fact that they were you know, really more of Billy Corgan's brainchild than a collaborative band, you know, and that was just, they just told me, you know, I mean, they just kind of like let it out piece by piece. And I was just there sort of paying attention. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I was trying to be Woodward and Bernstein. I had no idea. I just happened to be at the right place in the right time. And I was willing and open and curious. And I think that if anything, bands saw in me someone who was actually genuinely interested in what they were doing. And I always try to interview bands that I was genuinely interested in. And I think that ultimately that I'm jumping forward, but that ultimately led to my moving on from music at a certain point, because I felt like I was running out of bands that I was inspired by at a certain point or artists. But while I was doing it, I think that almost all the bands hopefully got a sense that I really was interested in trying to figure out like how they tick. Was paid a, off in a lot of ways. So was, sometimes that, it didn't pay off. <laughs> so that was the perspective you took when writing about these bands. And I think that they yeah. sensed it. And obviously when articles started to come out and they saw your take on things, they realized that if they couldn't trust you 100%, at least they could trust you better than some of the other music journalists out there at the time. Well, I'd like to think hopefully they figured if Gladstone was going to write it, it was going to at least be interesting. <laughs> exactly. I hope so. You said something earlier, which is, the best way to approach it. You didn't demand to interview these bands once you started working for national publications. You requested it. And I think when you go into an environment and people think that you're at least respectful of their work and not demanding of their work and access to them, I think they're a lot more relaxed about sharing information and insight. I think that's true. And it may, it may not be the same today. I think music scenes changed a lot, which is part of why I sort of subtitled the book, The Rock's Last Great Era. I think there was a, still a certain amount of freedom in this era that there isn't as much now, or the communication of the music has changed a lot. But I think if you read these stories, you'll sense a lot of freedom in these bands to just kind of be who they are, for better or worse. And when you looked at the bands, did they have interaction with each other during the 90s? 
You know, that's a great question because what's interesting as I put together this book and, and, and it also leads back to the title too, as I put together the book, I realized how many times these bands would reference each other or talk about something that involved another band. And obviously that wasn't by design, but I realized that there was a relationship between them. And, you know, it's a joke. The title of the book has a couple of meanings, but it's basically, it was inspired. Anything but Nirvana was inspired by the fact that I had interviewed, I realized I had interviewed all of these prominent bands in the nineties who were sort of getting overlooked relatively to Nirvana but I had never interviewed Nirvana themselves, whereas a lot of other writers had at the time. So I figured, you know, what's my hook for this book? And, <laughs> well, I exactly. interviewed, I, I practically interviewed any, anyone but Nirvana. <laughs> the secondary meaning, as I explained in the intro, is about the fact that the 90s are sort of looked back on as a, as a golden era. And, and really, there was a lot of contradiction and complications in, in that time period, which also comes up several times in the book. But yeah, it's very interesting. You know, you see the Beastie Boys talk about the Chili Peppers, or they'll talk about the Blues Explosion, or Jesus Lizard, or Mud Honey, just mentioning some of the bands that are in here. Smashing Pumpkins will mention another band. Greg Dully appears twice in the thing. At the Reading Festival, I interact with the Chili Peppers, and then I go on to interview them later. And, you know, same with Pavement. And the Foo Fighters, you know, obviously because of the Nirvana reference. So it is really interesting how these bands kind of interacted and sort of they really did pay attention to each other, which I always felt was very important in writing about rock music, because you'll see these books about, say, the Rolling Stones or, you know, Beatles or, or any classic bands, Nirvana, for example, and they'll barely ever talk about the bands that are around them. They'll talk about their music as if it's happening in a vacuum, you know, just like, oh, they just they just came up with this song by itself. And you don't realize that that song was actually inspired by another hit song at the time and or something else that another band was doing. And that that doesn't mean that they're copying or plagiarizing, but it does mean that all of these artists are absolutely influenced by each other and by the world around them. And I think that that's just more interesting. And even influenced by the past as well from previous decades. Definitely. Yeah. Which is um, significant, so, too. Don't worry about your dog, Eric. We love dogs on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed you're picking that up so oh, well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, my dog definitely loves attention. Uh, like most rock stars. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you know, speaking of the past, so most of the book is focused on artists of the 90s, but there is a little bit of past in there in that, you know, I, I did include an interview with Yoko Ono, for example, number one, because I think I just got a really good interview with her and it never been published in full before. But also because the 90s was sort of the era where Yoko Ono finally got her just due as an artist by herself. She finally got appreciated, I think, for what she was doing. And John Lydon, Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols is in there too. He was certainly a significant influence on the music of the 90s. It sounds too, Eric, that the common thread among all the bands or most of the bands that you write about, the basically yeah. the common thread is you. They all know you. <laughs> they may not necessarily know each <laughs> other, but you've been writing about them, and so that seems to be the major connection, at least the way I see it. Well, I mean, it's interesting to look at it that way. Obviously, they're, they, these are some of my favorite stories, and they were some of my favorite experiences. That doesn't mean that they're all positive. Some of the stories are definitely not, don't have happy endings. But I felt like that was important to reflect. 
very few of these bands knew me before I interviewed them, but I think I, I'd like to think I made the most out of the experiences. I mean, I made some memories, maybe. Oh, yes, I, I think so. I hope so. I think so. Uh, a technical question, <laughs> yeah. and that is when you did these interviews, did you just take notes or did you also record? And so as a result of putting the book together, did you go back to recordings or did you just look at your notes? That's a great question. Putting the book together, the, the book actually ended up taking about six years to put together from the, from the beginning of the process. And that's partially just because of life, you know, life distracting you. But it was also because when I went back to put these stories together, I originally thought I was just going to run the original published versions. And then I went back in my file boxes and I don't think I'm a pack rat, but I'm definitely uh, <laughs> someone who holds on to certain things and I, and I managed to hold on to certain things. And I was really good when I wrote these stories about, I always made sure, I never trusted computers. And I'm happy about that because obviously computer technology has changed so many times since I wrote these stories that a lot of these the original computer files, it was a lot of work just translating them. But I had originally printed out original versions of every story. Sometimes I printed them out as you do just so you can edit, you know, in on on paper. But I had always at the end of the process printed out a full copy of it. And I usually printed out a full transcript of every interview I did. Yes, I did tape record them to answer your question. I almost always tape recorded. And I also managed to save a lot of the cassettes, amazingly enough. I mean, that sounds crazy, but it's it's not that big a box. You know, I've I've still got the box and it's it's not even a full banker's box. So I, I've got some cassettes. So it's different for every story. There are a couple of stories that did actually run, uh, that are in the book 100% as they originally ran, but that's in the minority. A lot of them, I reinserted stuff that had been edited out for space. In some of them, I went back to the written transcripts and I said, oh, this is fantastic stuff that never made it. You know, the Nick Cave interview, for example, ended up being, it's twice as long literally twice as long as the version that was printed because there was just so much other good stuff that we couldn't fit. But in almost every story, there's a few pieces inserted back in. And then in a couple of cases, I had great memories of, of interviewing people. On, and the, the examples are Sonic Youth and a guy called Citizen Cope. But the published versions, well, for Citizen Cope, I couldn't even find the published version. I couldn't find it online or anywhere, uh, which is part of the reason why I created this book, by the way, is because none of this stuff is available online. Um, of course, yeah. But I couldn't, even, I couldn't even find it in my files. So I was just like, what am I going to do? I really want to have him in this book. You know, he was a good friend, and I think he's really talented, and I, and I wanted him to be included because there hasn't been a lot written about him. So I went back and I transcribed the original cassette and it was a little damaged and there were some pieces that fell out, but I went back and retranscribed it. And then Sonic Youth, I had a great experience interviewing them, or it was an interesting experience interviewing them, but the story that came out of it at the time, I really wasn't happy with. So I actually just went back and I retranscribed the interview with them. And it's, it's a hilarious and really unusual interview for them because of how candid they are and how different they are from most interviews you see with them. So that was an experience where I did, did use a tape. Well, let's take a break. My guest, Eric Gladstone, is author of Anything But Nirvana, Other Heroes and Happenings, from Rock's Last Great Era. 
It's available exclusively on Amazon, and you can follow Eric on Facebook at Anything But Nirvana and also EC Gladstone, and on Instagram at EC Gladstone and the Feast of Friends. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. Are you struggling with housing issues, mounting bills, or other legal issues? Legal Aid Center of Southern Nevada offers free legal assistance in many areas, including free classes and ask a lawyer consultations. Go to our website for more information, including how to apply for services. Visit www.lacsn.org. Now, let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Eric Gladstone. He's author of Anything But Nirvana, Other Heroes and Happenings from Rock's Last Great Era. It's available exclusively on Amazon, and you can follow Eric on Facebook at Anything But Nirvana and also EC Gladstone, and on Instagram at EC Gladstone and The Feast of Friends. Eric, when you finally put it all together, and as you said, you spent several years putting this book together, looking at original sources, your transcripts, the cassette, <laughs> cassette tapes, which you can convert to yeah. MP3, you know, make it easier on yourself, but okay, you already did the book. <laughs> and, you, and, you put, <laughs> and you put it all together. From the perspective of today, are you less cynical about your experiences, more cynical, or about the same? You still kind of look at the bands the way you did back then. Uh, you know, that's a really good question. Going back to these stories definitely triggered a lot of feelings about the experiences. And I write about that a little bit in each each piece has a little bit of an introduction. And I basically just kind of almost free associated. I said, what is this story reminding me of? What do I want to talk about here? Sometimes it was the form of the story in the form of writing. And I wanted to hopefully shed a little light on that part of the process, because there's very few books out there that talk about feature journalism. Even journalism texts, as far as I've seen, talk very little about the process of creative feature journalism, which is a very specific type of journalism that is pretty rare these days, I have to say. So I thought it might be valuable for me to shed some thoughts on that. But also, Every piece has a little, or almost every piece has a little bit of memories of this is what I remember from doing this, or this is why I'm proud of this story, or this was the experience. So how do I look back at them all? I mean, obviously, this, is, this book is like a greatest hit. Obviously, these are the stories I wanted to be remembered. There's plenty of other stories that I wrote that, that I don't think necessarily need to be remembered or, or they're just not as important as this to me. So the experience overall, it was a very up and down experience. You know, I'm really glad that I did it. There was a lot of fun involved. The, the stories that are in this book are absolutely the fun stories, most of them anyway. But there were a lot of stories and experiences that weren't fun. There was a there's there's a lot of when you're when you're a music journalist or any kind of journalist, a freelance journalist like this, there's a lot of waiting around. There's a lot of begging and pleading. There's a lot of doing things for free or next to free. There's a lot of stuff that's really hard. There's a lot of people telling you what you can do and what you can't do. Going back to your point about like how I got bands to trust me or how I was able to get this kind of access. You know, there's there's times when I didn't get this access. There's times when I didn't get them to trust me. 
So I look back at the era slightly cynically, but also positively. You know, there was, there was a lot of great stuff happened, but there was also a lot of contradictions at the time behind the scenes. Theme, a complicated time. <laughs> it is. And I think what you're saying, if I could reinterpret what you said, is that just as you said, life intervened while you were trying to write the book over those years. Life, it, yeah. life is life, so it's always going to be complicated. Right. Like, look, either when you're living it or when you're looking back at it to put the book together. So I think that's part of what you were saying. At least that's my interpretation of what you were saying. Very well said, Ari. Okay, I appreciate you <laughs> putting my long-winded answers into a capsule. A little editing here. <laughs> no, I'm going to leave yeah. it all in. And I'm leaving the dog in, too, so that's good. If you looked at... <laughs> Looking back from the vantage point of today at the bands you wrote about and the musicians you wrote about, which one would you like to cover from the vantage point of now? I did choose these bands also with a sense of who are the bands that are still have relevancy today, because I wanted the book to be, to have some meaning, not just to kind of my generation, but to hopefully to future generations or people who still love music. Now, I didn't want to put in a lot of bands that people barely remembered. So there was a thought to that too. So who would I want to, if I, you know, obviously I sort of moved away from rock writing, you know, well over 10 years ago. And there's a, funny story sideline but but well wait a second uh, eric you, you have to give us the sideline wait a minute you can't just say but but well, and then, uh, and then uh, don't say it <laughs> okay well the sideline story i love to tell very quickly is that the very last music journalism story that i wrote and this was here in las vegas so here's the las, las vegas tie-in and it's courtesy of melinda shekels my very good friend who was one of my editors at the time and she needed a favor and she said she called me up and she said listen eric i know you really don't write about music anymore but i need a favor i need someone to interview a band and i know you can do it and i know you get this world and i just need you to write a short piece for me on this this local band that's getting a lot of buzz and i said sure okay and she said okay so go down to the killers have a studio that's just off of spring mountain i need you to go down there and hang out with this band recording a demo and just write me a short, you know, one page piece. I said, okay, sure. You know, so she gave me the information. I said, what's the name of the band? She said, so the name of the band is Imagine Dragon. <laughs> so, and I, I'm like, what kind of a, as usual, <laughs> what kind of a name is that? <laughs> you know, like people ask with every band that's going on to be classic, you know? So the very last story that I, the very last music story I wrote was in the studio with Imagine Dragons when they were recording their demo. And I will never forget two years later when they were everywhere going, oh my gosh, look at that. <laughs> and that's a perfect bookend to your music journalist career because you started out I that I kind of felt like it. Yeah, it was yeah. a good, good, good note to go out on. Yeah, um, no, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but to to go back to your question, so yeah, like I said, a, a lot of these bands, I'm really proud and honored to see are still going going strong. You know, Ween, The Smithereens, Smashing Pumpkins. You know, Nick Cave. Uh, <laughs> those those are kind of the big ones that are still going strong. And Beck, Beck is someone who I would really love to write about. I think still going back to the perspective of the past and bringing it up to the present. Number one, because I just had great experiences talking with them. The, the story that's in this book is only one of three or maybe four pieces I did with him. This was my favorite. But he, 
put out music last year that's completely relevant and completely contemporary. And you don't hear his music in 2021 and think, oh, it's the old guy. He's back again. You hear his music in 2021 and go, yeah, this is cool. This is current music. You know, it's great. That to me is amazing when we're talking about an artist who's literally been around for 30 years. It is. That's incredible. It is. And (laughs) a, a parallel question of all the bands and musicians, are you in touch with any of them today? Good question. I I am in touch with a lot of them via Facebook. Definitely still connected with them on some levels uh, via social media. I'm still close with John Spencer. Still talk with Mike Simpson from the Dust Brothers. There's other people I'm sort of one person removed away from, let's say. But there's a lot of people that, yeah, that I'm still in touch with on social media. When you looked at who you wanted to reach with this book, and I think part of what you wanted to do, and here is my mind reading act, I think that you, <laughs> you want to give them their due. You want to give these bands their due. And so that, as you said earlier, people reading about them who may not even have been alive in the 90s would get a sense of it. So I think what the book is, is both a, an interesting collection of bands, but also a moment in time. And that moment in time is what you also want to communicate to people as they read your book and get a sense of what that was like. Am I off the mark, on the mark, in between? No, I think that's really well said. I tend to do everything with kind of two minds at once. <laughs> I don't know if I should have been born a Gemini or something. Um, <laughs> I was. <laughs> so, but, there you go. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying. Sure. Um, I, I've always got two thoughts in mind whenever I do anything. I mean, the title of the book is refer- it ha- has two different thoughts to it. The choice is of bands have two different thoughts. There are also bands that are relevant now, but also experiences that I thought I loved, also experiences that I thought were valuable. So there's things in the way that I wrote the pieces that I want I wanted to have preserved. You know, there's the actual bands that I thought needed to be remembered. There's also, as you said, the time period. So first the events that I talk about in the book. There's a couple of events in addition to the bands. There's also, I taught, I have the kind of this rambling gonzo experience at the Reading Festival in England in 1994. And also another more focused piece on the first Tibetan Freedom Concert, which was in San Francisco. And both of them were really trying to capture the spirit of, of that moment. They were both really, I think, important moments, music-wise and in terms of that world. So I wanted to include them because I really did feel that the era was not... A lot of the peop, other people who wrote about the era at the time, I, they wanted to put the best face forward at all times. You know, They wanted to make things look great all the time. And, and that's when you're talking about history, that's dangerous, right? Yes, <laughs> you know, And a lot of history gets written that way. Yeah. Um, it's... It, it, the history is written by the victors, and we only talk about the good experiences and the wins. We don't talk about the failures and the mistakes. We don't talk about the complexity of living through a certain time. Well, music in the 90s was really complex. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, I thought at the time that a lot of people weren't really able to document that. I mean, honestly, I'm not going to point at the writers. I don't think a lot of media was interested in talking about the complexity of what was going on. You know, they just they weren't. They just wanted to have fun, you know, which I get. That's fine. So, but I wanted to use this opportunity to talk about, yeah, this is a complicated time. There were a lot of great things that happened, but it was, it was difficult. At that time, people were very, very obsessed with 
where the money was coming from and whether you were doing things for the right reasons and a lot of stuff that we look at in the modern era in a slightly different way, but it's happening now too. People really look at your motivations and your politics and things like that. And I think it's important to document that uh, along with the music. Well, I think that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Eric Gladstone, author of Anything But Nirvana, Other Heroes and Happenings from Rock's Last Great Era. It's available exclusively on Amazon, and you can follow Eric on Facebook at Anything But Nirvana and also E.C. Gladstone, and on Instagram at E.C. Gladstone and The Feast of Friends. Eric, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Ira. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Bring us your fantasy.